I just couldn't get to the phone in time. Oh. Well, I just wanted to give you an update on that I figured out. Uh, I ended up being staying up too late last night looking up stuff about a treadmill test. I have a lot of pressure on my chest, and it will probably crack. I breathe shallow, but I'm not worried about having a heart attack on treadmill. Because nothing in my life is in order if that's the case. So I left a message for my sister that if my diary gets fucked up, Jones already said to take care of uh, any final anything and keep up the Mateo and have everything go through and give it away to anybody that basically can't want So anyway, I've been trying to call. Well, I realized I forgot my lunch. So, because I was going so late, I was up late last night, got up resetting my alarm this morning, I ended up not leaving at 6 or 4 like I wanted to do it. And then it was so close to the time I told that guy I'd bring my car over to have the alignment check. So I went over there, and he was really hairy, and he was late, and I had to wait. So I got that done, then I got on the freeway, and I realized I forgot my lunch, so I'm heading back to get my lunch. But, uh, anyway... For the last three days, I have been calling Bill. And I just wanted to try to put you in the loop. I wanted to call him to ask him for you if he might be able to help. But I wasn't just going to say, hey, can you help Kevin? I was going to kind of feel out the situation and maybe sort of ask if he could think about a solution, see if he comes up with it on his own. But he hasn't answered any of my calls. So, I probably called him at least five times a day, six times a day, phone rings, rings, and I realized that was the house number. And when that went to the machine, I didn't leave a message. I figured, you know what, I don't want to leave a message. And with Joan, if you leave a message, she doesn't do it anyway. She just looks at the call and she calls back, well, what did you want? I didn't do it. So I figured, you know, he may never call back if I leave a message. So I won't leave a message. Last night at, at 10 20, he sends me an email and says, Oh, I don't carry my phone much anymore since I don't work outside the home and I don't go anywhere. So I looked at it and I guess I missed a few of your calls yesterday. So there was calls yesterday, that day, and there's been a couple today. But anyway, so I guess I missed a couple of your calls. What's up? And I got to thinking. If my phone rings in the house, unless it's on vibrate, I hear it. Now, maybe he has a bigger house, but at some point, the, the randomness of my calling and the randomness of when you have to get up and face your desk and go pee or grab a bite to eat, it seems to me like the path could have crossed if you were ever told me. So I'm getting a distinct impression, even though I don't want to, that Bill is not answering my call on purpose. So I just wanted to put that out there to you, uh, see what you thought, and just kind of give you that heads up. Well, he has uh, put up with us for several years, and he only has one more year of putting up with us, so I don't think he really is needs to uh, engage in that kind of behavior. So he probably is. I would think he would be above it, but that was what he answered the first day, spot on. And then... He's, 
I think he instinctively tells the truth, and and it's hard for us to envision being in his position, right? Because he makes a ton of money, and he, and he he doesn't even have to make phone calls. You know, he doesn't have to carry around his phone, right? So yeah, it's, yeah, probably. So it's like we can't even think of what it's like to be in a position like he's in. So it's hard for us to believe someone would be like that. It's like this landlord. Everybody thinks he's such a great guy. And he's even letting this guy live on his property for free. So when the guy starts saying, well, he's been terrorizing me, they say, they say, oh, no way. Right? Right. So it's hard for people to believe the negative of somebody they have such a positive, high opinion of. And also it's hard for us from the opposite side to think of what it's like to be in their you know, lofty position. Well, I will show you, when I was getting my magical help, I did feel a lot better. I had a lot less stress. I I didn't even have to think forward enough to, how will I take care of this, and how will I take care of that? It just, as it came up, it was taken care of without even a mention. It was just taken care of, and damn, that was nice. And I was a lot less stressed. Hold on. What is it that caused you to be a lot less stressed? Well, I'm on the wrong phone to talk about it. Oh, okay. I uh, don't... Yeah. You want me to call you on that phone? I'm kind of interested now. <laughs> well, if I... If I can't hear as good on that one as I can on this one. It's a lot, it's a lot more... What, what, what? I didn't hear it. I didn't understand anything. And the news... Oh, you didn't... Go to the store? Yeah, so... Okay, so then, can I ask you a favor, and that is that you would remember to call me and tell me the magical thing that took away all that stress. Well, hold on a second. Hold on. I am. So this is kind of how she becomes cryptic with all these fake phone numbers or whatever, or phone numbers that, you know, she calls it her bat phone, and she puts you on hold, and she talks to the hey, dog, and, the oh, okay, all right, hopefully I'll see it soon, uh, uh, and I can't talk about it on this phone, right, so, That's it's just for me to know, That's right. all right, well, c congratulations on finding a magical unicorn solution, whatever yeah. it is. Oh, shit. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Somebody killed the unicorn. I, my point was, he said it's hard to imagine being in Bill's shoes. Well, there for a while, I think I was in a fancier pair of shoes than, than he. And and it lasted for a while, uh, unsolicited, and then it went away. But it was, I, it was a lot, I wasn't even stressed. I didn't even think about being stressed. I didn't even think about what's next. Whatever came up, it was taken care of. That's very pleasant. I, I had so, that when I was, um, I think I was, I was, I was about eight years old. But even then, I, it was a precarious existence. Yeah, well, it's a very, it's a nice, 
or raised in a reasonably okay family, that, and you can think back so far. I can think back. Uh, I remember my parents holding me as an infant. I um, so, and I remember being having a nurse try to walk me out of the hospital, and it wasn't confirmed until almost 43 years later. So I remember all that stuff, but I would liken it to, okay, you're a baby, you're helpless. You need to eat, you've got to poop, you've got to pee. If you catch a bug, someone takes care of you. Everything's taken care of. you got to rush it through your head, you got to walk blanket around you, you got someone going, yeah, yeah, baby, and then shoving food in your face. Just watch the airplane, and then you eat it. I mean, that's kind of about the same thing. You don't even have to think about it. Of course, babies wouldn't normally think about it anyway, but I would liken it to about that. And, well, I, I think that's a lot of my stress. I'm concerned about that treadmill tomorrow, like I said, because when I get out of the car and let the dog out of the car, I, uh, I'm pretty much almost out of breath. If I talk on the phone too much, I'm out of breath. I was out of breath the other night when I hung up. I was like, I, I just, I, I couldn't, I was breathing shallow, which is not helpful, and that could be what's causing the stress. Hey, but, um, I hate to bring this up, but being out of breath is one of the symptoms of the coronavirus. This is, I understand, but what I'm saying is, I'm just, Well, for 
patients who can't exercise, and I said, that's not that I can't exercise, I don't, I haven't been exercising. We used to run 10% of the years, I ran 10 miles a day up in the hills. The most I missed every year was maybe a week, 9, 10 days, I think you've anyway. been exercising, Rochelle. You've been going down and moving a bunch of uh, storage stuff here and there, and that's exercise. Oh, well, if that counts, then I've been doing a lot of shit. That's right. That doesn't count as exercise. To me, exercise would be jogging for four hours, or moving furniture, and painting a room, and then taking a bath, and, you know. See, when I was a kid, I didn't consider gardening to be exercise. But now they call it a mild form of exercise. So moving shit around a storage unit is exercise. Okay, well, then I've been exercising. But I will say, I have sat down. I sit down a number of times. So part of it's just, I guess I'm home, you know. You're getting old, that's all. Everybody gets it. old, so. I look at it and I think, well, I used to be able to do this. It was nonstop, nonstop. And now I can do it nonstop. She goes into all these details that she thinks I. This is how she processes information. I don't. I do not understand it. I don't care about it. She thinks other people care about her little fucking details. 172 verse one. I don't even know what she's talking about. You're, you're here. I am not listening to her. I got her on mute, and it's a bunch of bullshit. She probably so does this to every it. other person. It's, it's like, if a person like Bill doesn't take your calls, you're, you're too much into this bullshit. Okay, this is, this is a thousand details when only three are necessary. I have a question about that process. Yeah. Like, let's say you had uh, 10, 10 bricks that used to make a shelf, and you're trying to get rid of them. Do they get mad at you if you put them in the trash? Well, this place, technically, if they don't have any reason to look at the film to see who put it in there to know that it's there, probably not. But if you put shit like that on the top, they look at it and they go, God, who put that shit there? And then they yell at it. However, Donnie said, I, I started getting out bags, and we were going to put them in one of the bags. And he just looked at me, and he took one of the bags, and he dropped it. And I thought he, like, slipped. And I'm thinking, damn, he's losing it, because he was usually pretty strong. And he just looked at me, and he said, I don't think something will know what it is if we put it in that way. So he broke them all up. We just dropped them and broke them. I got my sled camera out, and whacked it once. 
Okay, so let's say uh, you're carrying that bag, and you. Yeah. Is it? Are you able? I mean, okay. I, I this is just facetious, okay? I'm not being real. I'm just. This is like a joke. Got it? And then these bags are the size of the ones you get at Dollar Tree or the general small one you get at Walmart, little plastic gray and green ones. Okay. Like that. So you're carrying that bag. Do you walk across someone else's uh, uh, storage shed that might be open, including in particular the ones that are, are for sale that are empty? Oh, yeah, no, they would, because they have cameras all over. They would see that I put it there. All right. I couldn't do that. But I, mean, I mean, if push came to shove, I would have just driven it off the lot and put it on the empty lot next door. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a bag of bricks. You could put that almost anywhere, right? And if it's a bag of if it's a bag of bricks, you can put that anywhere. Right. And if it's a bag right. of you can't leave a cinder, you, you can't leave a cinder block anywhere. Like, well, what are you leaving that cinder block there for? Right. And then if 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 it's something that could be useful to some homeless person somewhere down the line. You could okay. like you could leave the whole uh, cinder blocks on that same empty lot as cinder blocks instead of having having to break it up. Right, but you still have to move it. They're pretty heavy. Right, but you're going to be moving them heavy anyways if you're putting them in a bag. But if I but I, but when once we broke it, we put it into two bags because it was too heavy for one. Yeah, but one cinder block you can carry, right? <laughs> All right. Well, I'm just kind of thinking they're like, like, 25, they're like 25 pounds. Okay. I, I, I'm trying to envision the process, you know, for, is it, so you're taking something that might be moderately useful to somebody, breaking it up so you can throw it in the trash or you could right. leave it somewhere where a homeless person might come by and go, Oh, I can use those cinder blocks for, you know, my pet project, I'm making a, a, you know, a nuclear bomb shelter. And so, you know, right. there, right. then it's th at least in a useful format for some other person. It's kind of like having clothing and you leave it somewhere. That's, and, why it's so hard for me. That's why it's so hard for me to get rid of stuff. Yeah, but exactly. if you decide you're getting rid of clothing, right, it's for a three-year-old mm -hmm. and you're never going to be three years old again. So right. you, you got a big bag full of clothing. Well, you don't go to the trouble to rip it all up into rags just so you could throw it away. You basically leave it somewhere that some homeless person will find a bag of clothing. Okay? It's not useful to you, but it could be useful to them. Do you know where I found out about doing that? Because I had some old coveralls. Yeah. One said, one said Jean and one said, one said, um, what was the other guy's name that was really nice? Anyway, it was two mechanics I used to work with back in 1976. And 1976. Who the fuck cares were, about that level of they detail? Smelled heavily of oil and grease. They, they were had been washed. stinky. Yeah, stinky so, shit. She, this is a, these are remarkable stories that go nowhere for her. This is what happens with her. And and then she's in the middle of saying, "Oh, just a second. Let's do this. Uh, just, let's talk about something else. Let me interrupt." Even herself, she's interrupting herself. Before I went, I wanted to check stuff. The lady told me it's two and a half hours of labor for my shock, and she charged $426 for the labor, 
And she goes, oh, that's way too much. It's only like two, two grand, fifteen grand. Anyway, so I wanted to check that before I left because she might be calling me later. So what I found out was, I told her, honey, oh, go over there. She where are we going on? Yeah. Then she by the rail trail. She said, yeah, and I told right across the street. Details that together. don't matter. She's got she thousands like of them. So those people in case they want it now, if they don't like this. Now, right on. Some people, when they get older, they don't even... Now they, they lose their now. Yeah, so a detail upon a detail about yeah, something n nobody fucking but cares. I'm not going to use them. I'm probably never going to get into them again. And so yeah. we pulled around and I put it down over there on the rail trail and I also left 12 jars of um, poison, berry, poison berry jam that I made. Now, they were from 1996, but they were still peeled. Why didn't you keep it? That sounds yummy. Well, I asked you if you wanted any, you said you wouldn't eat anything at all, so I left it out there. They were made out in the... Because I, I specifically asked you. Oh, uh, anyway, I guess I don't from, remember. It was from 96 to 2005 when I made it, and it was from boysenberries that grew in the yard. They had no poison on them, and all you do is you get it. You cook them, and you add salt and sugar to it, and you make sure when you put it in the oven that the lid's sucked down. And that they're clean lids, and there's no chip on the rims of the glass. And shortly thereafter, I guess someone had seen me, someone that I knew, and they talked to somebody, and then that person talked to me and said, do you know, it's uh, illegal to poach stuff. I said, oh, I'm sure it is. Illegal to what? Poach? They, it's illegal to dump stuff. Oh, dump. So I'm thinking, when I'm thinking dump stuff, it's like your used oil and two rims that are cracked from the accident you were just in, and left them on the side of the road for the, you know, bounce around to pick up. So I knew that. And I said, I said, yeah, I bet it is. And they go, well, why are you leaving stuff? What are you talking about? Well, didn't you leave stuff over there on by 7th Street? And I said, I did. I said, but I didn't, I wasn't dumping it. I said, I left it there for the homeless people that are right there. I said, it's hard to find clothing, especially now. You can't get it free from places. And, you know, I figured they might, they might want to eat that because usually homeless a lot of the homeless people, or a good, portion, a good portion of the homeless people are junkies or addicts of some kind, and as long as they get sugar, they're happy. It's like that lady that, with the Coke fingernails that I, I gave her two bucks to see. Went in and she got a liter of soda, and it's just got 42 grams of sugar in it. So she got it for the sugar. I get it. So I left it. And, and I thought, well, shit, I don't want to get in trouble for that, so I quit doing that, but... But they say, you know, so I left one by a, by the switching unit, in the shade by the switching unit for the train. I left the overalls, and then the food I put on a bench that was 10 feet from homeless people. All right, so. They would see me over and get it. So that's technically illegally considered illegal and something. All right, so I have, I have a suggestion for you to keep in mind in the future. For that, yeah, because, and this is exactly what we've been talking about all along. Yeah. So, I'm, do you want me to play that game of can you guess what the suggestion is going to be? Give it to all those people and photograph it. And get right? to take video of your interaction with that asshole that's telling you it's illegal.
right? And you just pull it out and say, you know, you're right. Uh, you're doc I'm documenting a, what is apparently illegal behavior, and you're, you know, you're Joe Blow, and you're telling me what I did was illegal, right? I mean, we got the, and and it's on camera now, right? Okay, so, and this is out in public. You can't claim this is private. So you're accusing me of committing a crime by giving stuff to homeless people. Isn't that pretty much exactly what the situation is? And they're going to backtrack as fast as they possibly can. Oh, sorry. Uh, do, oh, do I have to go back further, like a full, a full minute? Okay, so you you reiterate basically what they just told you. What? And then you say you're reporting, you're telling me it's a crime to do this and this, whatever it is that they just said. Right. Because you got to get it on recording that they said it and they agreed that they said it. You know, I mean, that's the kind of the right. point. And your name is Joe Blow or whatever, and I'm recording this, you know that. So, uh, you know, what kind of an asshole tells somebody that, that by leaving, you know, uh, stuff for homeless people that they're breaking the law? Exactly what kind of an asshole are you? You know, that kind of thing. Whatever it is that you would, you know, because you're pretty good at actually confronting people. Like, you tell people it's a $620 fine. You're a lot better at it than I am. I would never say that. Well, I don't think I would either. But that's the first thing that comes into my mind. <laughs> I mean... But what I'm getting at is you're 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 videoing them, you're recording them and their reaction, and you're saying, you know, uh, I'm helping people here, and you're telling me it's illegal, or you know, you're actually you actually are far better at coming up with something diplomatic to say than I am in that situation, and you just get their reaction, right? Because I would be going, oh, I see you're just a first class asshole, so I want to get your reaction to me saying you're a first class asshole. Maybe I committed a crime. But you, on the other hand, are simply a first-class asshole. So, what's your reaction to that, asshole? You know what I mean? <laughs> well, you know there's a lot of assholes in the world. And I prefer to stay away from them. But I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, and then you get it on tape. And, you know, maybe if the cops ever come down and knock on your door and say, we understand that you dumped something for illegal, you know, illegally through two weeks ago. <laughs> Right? I mean, that ain't going to happen. Bye. You know it, don't you? Bye. Just because somebody says something's illegal, that doesn't mean the cops are come knocking on your fucking door and telling and taking Bye. you away, okay? So it's kind of like, okay, so what are you really trying to do here, asshole? I mean, really, you don't have to use that word asshole, but, you know, what are you what are you hoping to accomplish here? You're, you're stopping me from giving stuff to the homeless. What is your, you know... What is your aim here? What? Who the fuck do you think did you, you are? You know. Did you hear that there's uh, some of the protesters were beating up homeless people? No, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, there was protesters yesterday in Sunnyvale around the police station, and that to me is almost haunting them. I wish they would make it illegal to be on a center divide. Because that's when they were, and there was white people. So I wanted to off and flip them off, but I figured if you off, they'd be before them. So I just built the one about, oh! <laughs> and then I drove off. <laughs> yeah.
haven't seen any of these protests because I have completely shut in. I, I'm a white person in the middle of a brown neighborhood, so. Well, not just that. Yeah. You yeah. are a white male. Yeah. Educated. In They're... the middle of a colored neighborhood. Call it whatever color you want. Yeah. Not, not really and they are going to key up on me when they see me, so. You're starting to break up. I guess it's right around the time that you start breaking up, anyways, because we're almost running on 30 minutes here. We're on 30 minutes. Uh, I can hear you. I estimate we got maybe one more minute. And also, part of that was me getting a sense that I really shouldn't be going out today. Well, if you have a sense that you shouldn't go out, then definitely don't go out. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, imagine if you didn't even have the three hours sleep and you're trying to put up with coming to get me and then do all that shit just for me. No, 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 no. If I would have come to get you, I would have gone to bed right then. Oh, okay. That would have been, I wouldn't have stayed up doing that. I would have been, okay, I'm going to bed, I'm taking somebody up in the morning, and that's that. Uh, so I just stayed up late because I had time on my hands, and I was fighting my computer for some reason. I can't get, America's not challenged, but I can't get days of our lives, and the officers are there, and all right well you're you're breaking up a little bit here so um I, oh i'm gonna read your your text and so i haven't read it yet but uh i guess before i read it i'm gonna say congratulations on you getting your magical solution but it doesn't sound really to all that positive for you so uh it was very positive, but it happened that it's wrong. Okay. Well, uh, God is is taking care of us in weird ways, I know, but he is taking care of us. But now what's taking care of us? God. 
You're, you're saying that to God? Hey, God, lay down. You're driving me nuts. <laughs> no, my God. All right, so you're talking to your dog, and I'm talking to my God. So if I sp speak backwards, would it be talking to your dog? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Correct. Yeah, it would? Okay, I'll try dog to speak backwards. <laughs> All right. I'll speak backwards to your dog. Uh, Mark, Mark. <laughs> Ranger, change your name, Ranger. <laughs> Hurry, do it fast. <laughs> you know that in, in several of the, like the country towns, would that be rural? There's rural, urban, and what's the other one? Suburban. What's that? Suburbs. Yeah. Okay, so what they said was a lot of the suburbs, suburbs and rural towns where these rioters thought that they should go because figuring, well, it's a small town, there won't be very much police force, we'll make a big to do, and we'll get away with it. I can't remember one of them, but the other town was Snoqualmish, Snoqualmish up in Washington, and I've been to that town. It's a little small town, it's about 7,000 people. And when those protesters came, Everybody was out in front of their stores with their open carry firearms. <laughs> they said they turned tail as soon as they got into town. And the announcer said, did they know that this was going to happen? They said, no, they just probably figured it was a small town. Not for many cops take a while. It's mountainous. Take a while for, you know, helping police cities to come in. I don't know. It's great. So I'm interested in seeing what happens. I'm going to go to the bank first when I get the story. Because I have to cash my check. Well, well, what's happening is, is in these small towns where people don't put up with the shit, the protesters go away. And it's in the big towns like San Jose, where it's liberals in charge and liberals that tell the police what to do. You know, the liberals in city government. So so they tell them to stand. Yeah. Small towns, it's normal people. It's in the cities right. like San Jose, the big cities, where it's liberals who are in charge. That's where all these right. these uh, looting right. things take place. Right. Okay. Because they're telling the police to stand down. They're telling them to take their time to get there. They're, you know what I mean? That's stupid. That's stupid. That's stupid I don't understand why they would do that, except that they don't want to be beating up liberals. You know, liberal cops don't want to be beating up liberals. Yeah, I mean, you can demonstrate uh, 100 yards further away, right? That's right. But it, the problem was that Trump, when he did that, and it was like a photo op, he held the Bible upside down. Oh. Did he? Yeah, that's a little bit like raising the U.S. flag upside down. <laughs> 
that's telling me out. No, I know. I'm bad. I'm, I'm yeah. bad. I wonder how. I don't think he did that on purpose. No, that was a mistake. So he would have gotten away with it if he'd had the Bible all the way up, like, you know, it just said Holy Bible and, you know, that kind of thing. But it, it was well, a. I guess there's it's in video, so in the, when you look at the uh, tail end of the video, you can see the other side of the Bible or I something. I remember seeing a picture like that, and I don't remember seeing any writing on it. Right. Because that was the back side of the Bible, and it was upside down. Okay, well, if it's upside down and it's the back side, what difference The difference is, is like I said, it's like raising the U.S. flag upside down. So they saw the writing on the front because they have video of it. So they pretty much know that he held the Bible upside down, which is just a mistake. Okay. However. Yeah, but still, I mean, that's a that's a major mistake. That's like raising the flag upside down. Okay, that's good. I mean, if he if he addresses that, that sort of thing. But I don't think he is savvy enough to address that. I don't know, but there's nothing on the news for him saying, oh, I should not have held that Bible upside down, that's for sure. So he needs to tweet about well, that. I think I I think he does because it's turning into a faux pas. Do you know what a faux pas is? Yes. So it's it's backfired on him. It was a photo op and he okay, so it, yeah. Well, maybe he was grabbed by the protesters and he just grabbed it quickly. Of course he did. He just needs to address that and apologize to us evangelicals for holding up a Bible upside down. It's like raising the U.S. flag upside down. You you just don't fucking do it. It is the last thing you well, ever I do. Have never, I have never, I have never heard that. But hey, while we're on the subject of Bible, because there's three things that are super obvious. Just a couple minutes ago, you know, I'm It is that you look at it from the perspective of your enemies. Okay. So look at this thing with Trump holding it upside down. Look at that from the perspective of his enemies. Okay. So okay. He, he can't deny that he didn't walk through the park and go to a church and hold up the Bible as a photo op because that's all acknowledged. I don't know, but it, there's a photo opportunity, and he is, that's the photo. Okay? Oh. So he can't deny it. I mean, that's obvious. Even right. his enemies are saying that, and he's and his friends are saying that. Yes, he did this. And his friends, like us, like me, are saying, 
Uh, yes, oops, he held up a Bible upside down. Okay. And then, so you look at the friends of Christianity and the enemies of Christianity and all the indifferent sources, and I call that the rule of coin. C-O-I-N as in Nancy. The rule of coin. C-O- the rule of coin. C-O-I-N as in Nancy. Rule of coin. Can you hear me? So, C is, a, is concurring sources. O is opposing sources. I is indifferent sources. And N is no evidence against it. So the concurring sources... So the rule of coin, C-O-I-N, C is concurring, the people who agree with you. O is opposing your enemies, the opposite, opposition, O. I is indifferent, indifferent sources, like history and, and archaeology. And then N is no evidence against it. That's how... No, that's what I developed, my own little formula for determining what is a historical fact versus what can be twisted into something that isn't a fact. So you apply that to other historical events. Let's apply coin to uh, Julius Caesar. You know who he was? He was a Roman general. Even his enemies acknowledged he was a Roman general who crossed the Rubicon River and started a civil war against the Republic of Rome, and that was the end of the Republic of Rome and the beginning of Caesar, the beginning of the empire. So his friends, his enemies, in different sources, and there's no evidence against it, they all say that, that Julius Caesar was a Roman general who ended the Roman Republic. Because Rome was so fucked up, and he wanted to, f- to uh, fix all those problems. Okay. All right. Okay. And I know that. Yeah. It's a lot like what's happening today. We're, wa- we're witnessing the end of the American Republic, and soon it will be the American Empire. Somebody will step forward and be the American Emperor, and all the liberals will just be happy as clams, and people like us will be looking for a place to run away to the hills. To run away to the hills. Have you ever heard that expression? Oh, I lost background noise. Are you still there? I lost background noise. I think you hit me. All right, so have you... So have you heard of the expression, head for the hills? Yes. Okay. Dodge That's right. So we're right at that stage in history when it's the end of our beautiful re- republic and the beginning of an empire. Well, the liberals already think it's an empire. They just want to overthrow the king. That's right. They want to be in charge, and, and there's idiotic conservatives that want to overthrow it and be in charge as conservatives. So, they're both stupid. It's really scary. Yeah, it's scary, and it's, and it's sad. <clears throat> okay, so, you apply the rule of coin. 
okay, the rules coined to Julius Caesar, and you cannot deny that he was a Roman general. Right. You cannot deny that Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean in 1492. A lot of people like to jump in right there and say, oh, he's a horrible, miserable person, and he killed millions of Indians and all that bullshit. I don't fucking care. The history is he, 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 the bullshit is that he killed Indians and all that stuff. I don't care. The history is he did sail the ocean. Right. You can't deny that. Right. And you can't deny other things. So one of the things you cannot deny in history is that Jesus died for words, for blasphemy. And he could have just turned around and said, oh, you got that wrong. I didn't say that. Or you misunderstood. Oh, please don't kill me. Oh, you know, big mistake here, buddies. Let me re-explain. Let me say that again. No, he didn't. He just. Right. He, he said he died for blasphemy. Yes, he did. Even the even it says so right in the Bible, and his enemies say that that's what he died for was for blasphemy. But he died for sin. No, he died for blasphemy. Which is saying things against against God. Against God. Yeah. Against God. So it's not blasphemy if you backtalk your parents. No. Okay. But it's blasphemy if you backtalk God. Okay. So his enemies said he died for blasphemy. His friends said he died for blasphemy. Indifferent sources say that he died for blasphemy. And there's no evidence against the fact that he died for blasphemy. So he died. Well, he died claiming to be God himself, and he would not retract that claim, and he died for it. Those were the most important words of Jesus in his life were the ones he died for. You have to say that. I mean, that's very true. If you, if the most important thing, you, the time comes, okay, you're Rochelle, this is the last minute of your life, what, what words are you going to die for? Right? Yeah, I mean, uh, what words would, okay, so we don't like you and we're going to kill you, but we're going to record the last, say, you know, three sentences that you say and everybody in the world is going to hear Rochelle's last three sentences and she will die because she said those sentences. So what are you going to say? Then what I suggest is you get on a recording somewhere and like send it to me and your friends and say, if I die tomorrow, these are my last words. Okay. I did that with my sister. I said, I did it to check in. I hope you thought you had lunch and you're on lunch, but save this message. Okay. Do me a favor right now while we still have a line. Let me record you for a second. All right, Rochelle. If you die tomorrow yes. on the on the um, on the treadmill, give us a one minute of your time and tell us what are the most important words in your life that you want to be remembered for. Take only one minute because it, the recording is only going to last about a minute and a half. One minute. Go ahead. Everybody, anybody raises their hand and asks for. 
pretty good see your last words were it's important to believe in God something like that right I, I, that was the, the before okay yeah. all right then I'm no you were that's why I told you give me a second let me know, turn not now, right? hold on okay so your last words are recorded So now you're kind of getting it. That was Jesus' last words. Those were the words he died for. He actually died for saying those words. So it's even more important. Well, if you if you claim to be God, people would just say you're nuts. Right? So the only way the only way it even becomes important is if you're if there's enough people fall. All right, so she, I lost her. And it looks like some kind of thing came in. It's from a bat phone and talks about uncle. So I'm going to read and you can hear my response. Are you there? All right, so if you claim to be God, the only way anybody cares is if you had enough people following you to think that you're God, like a Jim Jones type of thing. Okay. And even then, he was had a very small following, so, you know, and they had to point guns at people in order to die for him. He had to hunt for people to die for him? Yeah, there's the audio recordings of people getting shot and machine gunned in the background. He was shooting people? Yeah. They took Kool-Aid at the point of death of somebody pointing a gun at them. They died of poison because someone was pointing a gun at them. Yeah, they shot a few. There were some that died voluntarily, but but I think most of them didn't die voluntarily. So it wasn't Jimmy Jones that pointed the gun at him, but he had one of his minions doing it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it was uh, three or four minions. Oh yeah, a minion unit. And I mean, they these are not just people with guns that are pretending like oh I'm a mean person and not going to pull the trigger. They had just come back from killing a U.S. congressman. And a couple other people. Okay, so uh, these were very bloodthirsty, uh, de definitely going to kill you people. So you you don't have a choice. You can die from some pleasant Kool Aid or a bullet wound for everybody to see you die horribly. So how did everybody get to that point where they were in front of guns and a punch bowl of Kool Aid? Well, long fucking story. So you know, 
not even part of this uh, conversation to be candid but uh you know we could have that conversation at some other point i guess but uh what i'm talking about here is the four things people need to know about yeah i do i i still have a pretty good memory but uh it's a lot worse than it used to be Uh, because you have to get a teaching credential and all that shit, and uh, it costs money to get a master's degree, and it costs money to do all that shit, and I don't have money, and I can't put up with any of the stress related to doing all that stuff. What if you just tutored for $200 an hour, and you picked your clients, you went to their nightfall, and they, you tutored their, you know, respectful little, you know, Asian or Indian or Chinese or whatever, and then you gave them information, you picked $200, and you walked out. Well, uh, certainly an option. I just don't pursue it because I don't really care to. So, yeah. you know, I mean, eventually I would care to, but. Uh, so do you ever, do you ever wonder if you're going to run out of money? Yeah, all, a lot, all the time. And when I do, then I'll, you know, and I'm willing to go down to McDonald's and work at McDonald's. I, I don't have a problem with that. I do not have a problem with that. So, anyways, we're on to this. We're on this. This. Uh, it is a topic. So let's try to stay on topic about the things that you need to know about Christianity. Okay, three of them. One was your coin. So yeah, coin. You got coin. Okay. So you need to you need to confront yourself with knowing that Jesus is historically provable that he died claiming to be God himself. So at the least he's the claim is historical and provable. You can't claim that he is. I am in the middle of a talking and then you can ask later. So you can at least prove that he claimed to be God. You can't prove that he is God. You can only prove that he claimed to be God because God wanted it that way. Now go ahead and ask your question. If when he showed up, everybody knew there was a God, I mean, it would be a little freaky in today's world if someone showed up and said, hey, I'm God. But with your historical background and knowledge and stuff, I think it would be pretty easy for you to discern whether or not that guy was God and he just looked like a cowboy or well, however he showed up. I can see where in those times the communication wasn't as good. You, you know, you had a carrier on a, on a, a pigeon carrier or a, one runner across the Sahara Desert or something. And, and so the networking and communication wasn't as good. But if everybody already knew there was a God, why did they decide he couldn't be God? If they already knew, and how did they already know about him? Well, it's a complicated answer to that question. It was uh, the way that the Jews operated. They had the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, and that's how they communicated to each other. And they had that huge temple, and they would go to temple every Sunday and listen to somebody read the word. If, you know, if they were illiterate, they could hear the word every Sunday. And they, somebody had to write that. Somebody had to write that. 
Yes, and so there's an entire field of archaeology and history, history study of what they wrote and how it survived to the next generation, to the next, to the next, and how authoritative and reliable it is. And I'll give you an example, the Dead Sea Scrolls. So the, I heard the ones we thought we had are not real. No, they are real. They're very real. And so, so we had from a year 1100 or so, the, the, the earliest manuscripts of the Old Testament. That manuscripts, manu means hand, script means write. So it means the okay. earliest hand, because that's before the printing press was even invented. Okay? Sure. So the earliest handwritten writings of the Old Testament were from the year 1100 or 1200 around then. Okay? So the theory was, well, over that thousand years or two thousand years, they, it got corrupted and people were copying upon copying upon copying and copying the wrong thing and adding this in and adding that in and all kinds of bullshit, okay? And it was a pretty good theory. But then the Dead Sea Scrolls got found. And the Dead Sea Scrolls... Where were they found? In the ocean? They were found near the Dead Sea in a cave next to an old uh, archaeology site that had been overtaken by the Romans in the year 70 AD, which everybody knows the Romans took over Jerusalem and knocked the Jews out in the year 70 AD. That's history. So somebody ran over there to a cave and hid them. Yes. And so they and sat there, they sat there for 2,000 years, nobody touching them. How did they not deteriorate? Must have been a deep cave where there was no atmosphere or something. It was a very deep cave and they were in pots and some of them did deteriorate. Okay, so so then they did all the analysis and the, and the, you know they to get their science and their you know take whatever uh, you know uh, our carbon carbon date yeah and they say oh these were from the year seventy A D I mean it gets, it's kind of obvious that it was from the year seventy A D just by the basics of what you know what happened on that year that everybody scattered for the hills and they put all their most precious documents into this cave and then they left they got killed. Because people spend their entire lives for generations now studying that language. Okay. Okay. There are okay. experts in the in Hebrew, in ancient Hebrew in particular. They're, these are experts. As expert as you are in photography, these people studied ancient Hebrew ten times longer than you ever studied photography. Okay. Well, That's an interesting question, but it's also a side note to the topic that we're at talking about at hand right now. So the Dead Sea Scrolls, history, archaeology, carbon dating, everything points to the year 70 A.D. Everything, even the enemies acknowledge, yeah, 70 A.D. is when those things were stuck in those pots. Everything. Okay? And that was the Bible. That was just... Copies of the Old Testament, not the New Testament. 
Because okay. these, these were Jews. Okay? So then they read what the Bible had to say a thousand years before. So, so you're shaving a thousand years off of all those handwritten times when it got copied and copied and copied. Okay? When all kinds of, of corruption should have taken place in those copies. Right? You're backing up for before then so you can prove different. Basically, there should be a, tons and tons of corruption of that text. Right? No, in the ones that we have today, because the Dead Sea exactly. Scrolls are a exactly. lot earlier right. now. Right. So right. over That's a thousand years, you know how many errors they found, how many corruptions they found? Okay. You know how many? Probably not. I'll give you an example. They have a scroll of the complete copy of the, of the book of Isaiah, and there's only two errors. And they're misspellings of the word light, kind of like how we would spell L-I-T-E instead of L-I-G-H-T. Okay? That's it. Right. Two misspellings. Doesn't change any of the meaning of the word anywhere. Two misspellings over a thousand years. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Because it's like telling, it was like telephone. That's right. 30 people in a circle and you say, tell a story and then you repeat it and you repeat it. And, you know, you know the person next to you is the dumb person. So you're going to get the, you know, the cliff note. Right. So wow. instead of telephone, what it is is, okay, here's what I just told you. Here it is on a piece of paper. You read the piece of paper to the next person, and when you read it, here is how many words there are on one side, words across, and words diagonal, and word, you know, and like five different ways of counting the words and counting the letters. Okay, and so those numbers represent how many words and letters and all that shit. Okay, and so you read that, and then you transmit that information as well, and now then the next generation gets to read the same thing. Okay. So by the time it gets to the last person in the telephone booth, it's all written down. It's all me reading it to you, you writing it back, reading it back to me, counting all the words and letters and all that shit. And in over a thousand years, you got two misspellings. Wow. Okay. That's pretty amazing. So that's what how. Misspellings of the same word or two separate words? I don't know, but it doesn't really fucking matter. Okay. So that's that's how the history stuff. Has something to say about what we take as historical inferences in the Bible. Okay. okay. Extremely accurate. More accurate than regular history stuff. Right. Okay. Yeah, because that's being recorded as we speak, and it's going That's right. So then your question is, well, how did all that end up in the Bible? Well, I'll give you a kind of it's a it's a kind of a subtle answer, but and, and there, there's a lot of other things that came into into play. But for the New Testament, what happened was, the, you know, the Romans started to kill Christians. Then they would go up to you and say, "Are you a Christian?" And you, if you were going to say yes, you're you're going to die for Christ, right? Right. So you didn't have much choice unless you didn't want to die. I mean, most people didn't want to die, and some people. You know, they were Christians and they'd say, no, I'm not a Christian so that they could live. Because they, you know, you can't call it cowardice. You just call it self-preservation or something. But that was how they were trying to eradicate Christianity. And so one of the things that happened was if you got caught carrying biblical material, they would say, okay, here's the book of Isaiah. I understand you're carrying the book of Isaiah. Where, uh, uh, do you want to, you know, uh, renounce the book of Isaiah or not? Because if you okay. renounce it, the one that we were just talking about that had two misspellings, okay, 
if you renounce it, then they take it away from you and everybody's happy. If you don't renounce it, you die for carrying the word of God. Okay? And the same thing for, for the ones that were becoming New Testament, whether or not you died carrying the book of Matthew. That, so basically what they were doing, they were saying, okay, here's what we hold to be authoritative writings from our from the people that knew Jesus. So if you if they come up to you and they take, try to take those books away from you and they ask you to renounce, your, you know, Matthew and, uh, you know, and, and say, I, I, you know, I don't want it and I, and I renounce it, then you are expected to die for your faith at that point in time. That's right, because because there was a lot of other writings too, where it was you know one one guy in one city writing to another Christian in another city, and they thought it was authoritative, right? When it was the other city, oh wow, Paul wrote to us, you know, we're this little podunk town in the middle of nowhere, and Paul wrote a letter to us, so we're you know that's part of our Bible, okay? So if you get caught a thousand miles away by the Romans carrying around this podunk letter from Paul. Do you do you think you should die for that letter, okay? Or should you just give it up and say, well, it's not part of our, our Bible? And that was part of the thing that drove them into saying, well, these are the ones that are authoritative, and you're expected to die for for them, and these are the ones that are not, or anything else beyond what we consider authoritative, you don't have to worry about. It's good material, but you don't. It's not, not even on the same level. Um, yes. There's Bible verses about that talk, like Peter was talking about Paul's writings in one verse in the Bible, and he says, some of his stuff is hard to understand, like the rest of the scriptures. So he was elevating what Paul was writing. That's Peter, okay? The guy that walked on water. Peter was talking about Paul, saying that he, what he was writing was on the same level as the rest of the scriptures. Uh, you're breaking up. You didn't know, and then that was it. I didn't know that Peter walked on water. I thought it was just God. No, Peter did, also. And then he lost his faith, and he fell in, right? Uh, he started to, and then he had the shortest prayer on record. And the, the, Lord, the prayer was, Lord, save me! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then Jesus held out his hand. And the waters calmed down, and Peter walked on water again. But he kind of had to hold the Lord's hand. <laughs> well, now, did he do that? Did, did Jesus do that to show the other people that <laughs> that's one of his sins that, yes, he's God? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's what the faith lesson or something? Absolutely. And it was one of those things that only his friends saw it. Right, his friends came back from that boat ride and said, "We saw Jesus and Peter walking on the water," and everybody's gonna say, "Yeah, bullshit." But he's smoking. Yeah. Sure. And then, so then, it didn't it didn't kind of occur to people that that really was what was going on until they saw Jesus die, and then three days later they saw him alive, and they kind of go, "Oh, this is a different person in history. This is okay. This is God Himself." Bodies, but if you were married, you will not be married in heaven to the person you were married to, but you may or may not see them. 
do we then do we have just like is it a spiritual being or are we going to be eating food and appreciating the Garden of Eden and all that jazz? Uh, well, the answer is yes, but those are extremely complicated questions, and they're also okay. they're religious questions. So you come to your own religious conclusions about the evidence. And that's one of, one of the things that I'm trying to kind of get across is about Christianity. There's all kinds of these religious conclusions. And, and so uh, one person can say, well, you're married in heaven. And another person can say that you're not married in heaven. And they're both believing Bible-believing Christians. Kind of like Thomas and me. He's a Bible-believing Christian. You're a Bible-believing Christian. And I'm a Bible-believing Christian. And yet here we are calling Thomas an asshole. He's a Bible-believing well, Christian asshole. Yeah, but he also let me stay here, so his, his behavior is good, too. His, probably his initial intent is good. It's kind of like the cop that killed a black guy. I don't, I honestly, my gut feeling is he didn't intend to kill a black guy. He caught somebody, his, his blood pressure got up, he saw people filming it, he lost track of time. He felt like, you know, he had a lot of power, and it went to his head. Well, I've been under a lot of a lot of stressful situations on camera, and I can tell you, you don't remember things the way that they show up on camera. I'm sure. And so your memory, the processing of your memory under stressful situations is totally different. Very different. And so what he was thinking about at that point in time, it's kind of hard to figure out. But you, you know, his life's in danger. He's arresting somebody, and there's a big crowd forming, and there's all this bullshit. Okay. I'm kneeling down and I'm two feet lower than all those people that are ready to pounce on me. Okay. But still he, you know, he could have just got up and let the guy go and start breathing again. You know, I mean, come on, there's some some simple stuff that applies here. Right. Especially, I mean, the people pointing right at it saying, look, he's not breathing. Okay. Hey, asshole, you're killing that guy. Hey, he's not breathing. Hey. Fuck you! You're killing that guy. Okay, so it was I like. I think the whole, the whole, you know, he was ready for his cross up, Mister Demille, and he got it, and he just got. He was in his own. It's like that guy was kicking me off the property that I'm living on. Who the fuck are you to kick me off the property I'm living on? Well, I got a bad, big damn deal. <laughs> that bad don't mean shit to me. I got sixteen cents to make, and they probably didn't even spell your name right. But they, they ha- he's a cop and he has a job to do and he was doing his job. He just did a shitty job of it. And he killed a guy doing it. Right. So, and, and he, you know, there's a certain point where you kind of go, okay, you're under a stressful situation, but pulling out a machine gun and killing everybody in sight, that's just not acceptable. <laughs> right? It's a little bit over the top. Yeah, and what he did was kind of over the top because it was on camera. It probably happens all the time, or not all the time, but often enough, when it's not on camera, and then people just 
don't give a fuck. Okay, and the only reason why people give a fuck is for a lot of the stuff we've been talking about, which is recording it. Because nobody knows who Floyd George is until some somebody like you and me recorded it. Right. Okay? So that's why I keep going time and time again with you. Oh, guess what? Guess what my solution to that problem was? Uh, when you were talking to somebody who told you not to leave homeless stuff or the stuff for homeless, and oh, you're an asshole, and I'm recording this, right? Yeah. So you know, I have become a robot now. Oh, guess what my solution to your problem is? Uh, uh, you're gonna say whatever it is you're gonna say, and you're gonna record it. <laughs> she's going off into the weeds again because I, really I think this might be how she processes information and stuff. So, you know, it's kind of like playing a game of concentration otherwise. And incidentally, on Craigslist, Here she is off I, again. Weeds, when it says renew, off into the weeds, I've been going the back to see if it's already up there before I renew it again and nothing has come down this last day. Maybe the guy's not harassing you anymore. reminds me about telling you about recordings yes. uh, yesterday I had a very fascinating incident with the dog a very bad incident with the dog fascinating fascinating okay so the dog was up at his trail looking at me looking to cause trouble so I stepped out for a second and sure enough he comes charging up to me right like he does and I've got video right. going and I'm gonna get vicious dog video and in between the dog getting to me and being vicious, the rooster thinks that the dog's going after him or the hens. And the, okay. the rooster defends me. Okay. It was astonishing. And the, the video, the video is really crappy, but that's exactly what the video shows. The rooster was defending me. Now he didn't know he was defending me. He thought he was defending his hens, but it was so fascinating. Okay. Well, I guess you whipped it into shape, right? When you whacked it on the leg. 
wing or whatever you hit it at. No, I think he was, he honestly thought he was doing his job of defending the uh, the hens because they were nearby, and the dog was coming okay. coming in that direction. Well, what did he do to do that? What did he do to do that? Well, what roosters do? They fly up, they flap their wings, they, he gets his claws out and his beak and is like, you know. Can he make a noise? Oh yeah. And the dog is like got this confused look on his face, and then the rooster keeps at it, you know. And uh, and then he gets past the rooster, and he's like bark bark bark. I, I don't like you bark bark bark. And then it's like the rooster comes at him again, and and the dog's like, oh weird. And I'm looking at it going, well, I'm scared of this dog, and I and I basically run away into the motorhome, because not because I didn't want to get the rest of the video, but because I saw that the the landlord was coming down. And I didn't think he, I didn't think he saw me. So I closed the door of the motorhome, and I let the dog have it out with the chicken. And so the landlord, as far as he's concerned, is coming down and settling a fight between the rooster and the dog, not between me and the dog. <laughs> so there's two levels of fascination right there, right? I know, but it was just, it's fascinating and absurd and hilarious and everything. And it all happened. It all happened yesterday. And I got it on video. Not all, I mean, I got shitty video, okay? Because I was scared shitless, okay? But it is on the video, okay? Wow, did the rooster see you? Yes, he did. He, you know, uh, I did you know, I, I the way I processed it was he was defending me, but then I realized, oh, he was defending his hens. Okay, but uh, um, he doesn't defend you first, and the hens are next. No, but you know, he he was just defending, and I happened to be nearby. Okay, and he wasn't he wasn't smart enough to go, oh, that dog is barking at him, <laughs> and I don't like him right now, so go for it, dog. Okay. It was right. that that dog's coming after my hands, and here I am. Deal with me. Wow. <laughs> wow. Even a bad video is gonna be a good video. So what I did is I went and immediately got the food I could find and threw it out for them and made sure they were happy and rewarded the rooster. Isn't that fascinating? I think it's fascinating. So. Well, maybe you'll end up being uh, God's right-hand man. Maybe you'll get into video, or you'll—he'll be yours. I have no idea. You know, when I look at these videos, my heart rate starts going, and it's fucking scary. Okay, this would make a good fucking scary movie. <laughs> I have had, I have had that increased heart rate just. Looking at paperwork from legal shit. Yeah, but there's a difference between that and and other people watching something and thinking that it'd be a fun, scary movie. But uh, you know, oh, no, so, no, somebody no, no. somebody reading scary. legal documents isn't gonna be a scary movie, <laughs> right? So what if it was a scary movie and it was just clip after clip after clip, different day, different time, the scary dog, different angle, different background. Every time you just put all together. Dog. Be kind of like an Alfred Hitchcock. <clears throat> you know, he always let the 
opioids led you to the situation and then allowed you to have your own experience. And that's why he was so damn popular, because he didn't show the machine gun blowing up bellies on dummies that look like real people. He didn't show any of that. He showed the man in the hallway with the suit, the trench coat, and you can the lights from around the corner, and the lady screaming from around the corner, and you hear a clip-clop, clip-clop. You never see the man, you just see the feet. And then you hear, ah! And you go, oh my God, he must have got her. But you didn't see it. He didn't, one, he saved a lot on, on props and animation and probably editing and everything else. But he led you to it. So you have scary dog, scary dog, scary dog, scary dog. 30 second clip, 5 second clip, 30 second clip, 20 second clip, 15 second clip, a few noises, a little bit of chicken screaming. And and it's again and again and again and again and again and again. So you got 30 minutes of it. Or even 20. You know, and then put a chunk of raw meat at the end and let them figure out what happened. I mean, it could be raw meat that you're feeding the dog. It could be raw meat that he tore up whoever was being attacked by the dog. Yeah, I don't have a, I don't have a plan. And I, and I wouldn't try to make them all perfect either. Some of them are a little bit blurry, or the, the camera or the computer or whatever you're recording with is wiggling. Even in there. Well, there, there was this movie called uh, The Blair Witch Project. Yeah, and it was a lot like this. Only, well, only it was fake. It was fake. This is real. Right. All I know is when you say dog, I see a dog, shiny eyes, in a darkened area where you can tell it's a dog. Oh, have you seen that video? The one with the shiny eyes, or the I have a couple of them now. I saw, I saw at least one portion where it has shiny eyes. Isn't that a fascinating? <laughs> That's a fascinating video. I mean, it's like, wow, that is a scary fucking dog. <laughs> and he's not even doing the scary fucking dog thing. He's just being a, a dog in the night, barking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, uh, I thought I would tell you that because I thought you might appreciate it. So the, the chicken, yeah, cool. the, the, the rooster, it was like, oh, good, good rooster. Very good. <laughs> That would be the title of my scary movie. Good rooster. <laughs> I wasn't thinking, but I've been talking this whole time. I've had my phone plugged in like an idiot. Oh. So I'm going to plug it in, and I'm getting ready to go over the hill. It's flying over here. So uh, we'll probably end up losing it, but it's interesting. I'm interested in seeing what's going to happen at the bank. They might say nothing happened. I think most likely nothing happened. I don't follow the news all that closely. Yeah. Two guys talking at the new Arco station at Arco has McDonald's that Donnie used to always go to. And Walmart's right across the street and they stopped and then one guy got on his Dodge Dakota and drove he's like an SUV. <laughs> drove out on Highway 152. The other guy shot him right in the head. He went across both lanes of traffic. Kind of up the berm there in the dry grass. Hard 
That's that is disturbing. And you were you were right there, you know. And I was going to leave earlier, and something said, "No, don't leave earlier." It's like, God, it's okay. Well, if I'm not going to leave earlier, then just give me the energy to to get back home over the hill without falling asleep at the wheel. And sure as shit, I waited a little bit. Like I think I told you, the the line of traffic on Badger Flat was really long. I said, "Man, I guess everybody's back to work." And apparently, they had held up traffic. There must have been forty or fifty cars. And at the end was a cop, and then he saw me, and I, and so he turned around, and he was in the back of the line, and then he turned around, and I was like, oh, shit, what did I do? So I slowed down, let him go in front of me, and as soon as we got another two, three hundred yards, there's the gas station on the back of Walmart straight ahead, and 152 going west, right there at the, at the gas station. I got out, I drove around the corner, two, two SUV cops on the same side of the street, and then I saw the car across the street on it. Okay, that's kind of weird, huh? Weird times we live in. Oh, by the way, I I saw I looked at your text when you the call got dropped. Yes. And it it doesn't say anything. It just it has one word. And That's all it is. Yeah. One word. Yeah. That should be enough to explain everything. It doesn't explain shit. All right. I'll talk to you later. Okay, bye. bye. Okay, bye. Okay, so the one word is uncle. She says that explains everything. That's the difference between what goes on in her mind and what goes on in my mind and lead it to the people following this. What do, what do you think the word uncle means? Well, I'll tell you what it means. It doesn't mean shit. Okay? People like to talk as if whatever they're saying means so much shit, and it doesn't mean shit. It's a Humpty Dumpty thing. All right, I gotta go. It's an hour 26 in, and I am hot, and I need to get cooled down, and I need to take a shit. All right. Okay, this is gonna be in addition to the given to seizure, that which is seizures. I'm gonna take advantage of the fact I can pause. And so I don't even remember where I was at. I think I had more or less a complete thought on the first passage of, uh, of what I was talking about. So the touch points for this would be that, you know, you got to give to God what belongs to God. It's more important than what you give to Caesar. Give to politics is, is an outside issue. Uh, so your relationship with God is more important. And uh, so one of the examples that I thought were for REBT was uh, Dr. Ellis had a tape where he was talking about how back in the 70s when Nixon had his scandal, people were getting so upset reading the newspaper back then that, that they were, it was affecting their program, their, you know, their ability to stay calm and uh, have access to their cerebral cortex rather than their amygdala, that kind of thing. And so he came up with a program that would help them to 
at least read the paper without getting all bent out of shape. So uh, that's what we kind of need today is something to go back to that. And I would probably try to find that tape from uh, uh, him, from Dr. Ellis, but that's copyrighted material. And he really didn't talk about what the particulars of that program that he developed for those people. It was just what he did, you know, like applied these principles of self-discipline and emotional control and uh, reprogramming your limbic system. He applied them towards the politics and so that was pretty smart. And a lot of people could use that. <clears throat> now my dad and my both of my parents were very liberal, very active politically and, and it was just like you would ask a question like, you know, how do you build a road? And their answer would be this loaded definition of what a road is. It's, you know, taxpayer money that deserves better than than the asphalt that gets, you know, ripped off by the guys that are building the road and all, you know. And it was the weirdest thing to be eight or ten years old and ask questions and see that your parents were answering that way. And you just, after a while, you realize that you've been fed loaded definitions your whole life. And you can't really trust anything that your parents are telling you. And it's weird because I remember thinking very definitively that, you know, why don't we have sugar in our house? Okay, sugar's bad for you and, you know, it's, it causes cavities, which it did. I kind of knew that. But sugar's, you know, unhealthy. And they would say it gets you sick. And I remember n never getting sick eating sugar ever. So it didn't make sense. It was to me. It was I had detected it as a lie. You get sick eating sugar, uh, and I never got sick. And what they didn't tell you is that over the years of eating a poor diet of sugar, you end up with diabetes, and diabetes is your pancreas kind of crapping out on you. So they were right. They were telling the truth. But I thought they were lying because they lied about so many other things and gave me so many loaded definitions that I thought the reason why they didn't have sugar was because they were too cheap. Sugar back then wasn't that cheap. It was kind of expensive and, and rich people had it in their houses, but we didn't. So I just thought that was what it was. I, I had it totally wrong. But that was one of the things where they were telling me the truth, and I, but they had told me so many other loaded definitions that I couldn't trust them. And I didn't trust them. So my two political parents, you know, my dad, when he was at his, on his deathbed, I guess you could say, and I, and I said, Dad, you know, you used to really be into politics. It was really important to you. You talked about it all the time. And now that, you know, things are winding down for you, you don't ever talk about politics. Why is that? And he said, it turns out it's not that important. So I really would like to implement that as a solution in my program. And I believe it's a solution in almost everybody else's program. That when you get older, you realize what really was important in your life. And it wasn't politics. And sometimes it wasn't even getting the job done at the, work, at the job site and going in and putting in the extra hours at the office. There's an expression that says no one ever died uh, wishing they'd spent more time in the office, okay? What's important is family and getting that straight. And even more important than family is getting your relationship with God important. So 12 
smart is going to be a relationship with God thing. It's going to be very important to get that straight. And it's a relationship with self. Because the Bible says, love one another as you love yourself. And it presupposes self-love. But those of us who are precarious class, who have had problems with anxiety, and have mis-processed um, anxiety in our lives, and it became sort of a habit and led to depression and things like that, uh, we didn't have self-love. You cannot presuppose self-love there. And so we need to learn what self-love is about. And so step two is, you know, not really uh, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. It could introduce us to sanity because we didn't really know sanity growing up. So I believe I'm going to be changing step two to, inter not to introduce us to sanity or maybe deliver us to sanity. And maybe even, and I mean, I talked about this in a Depressed Anonymous meeting recently, and the person, another person said, you know, she said that she didn't like the connotation of sanity because she'd been through some of the system and uh, the, it hints that you're insane, that you are, you know, like legally. There's legalities involved in that definition and things, you know, that she, people have gone through. So for that harsh level of what people have gone through, it may cause a reconsideration of the word sanity in the 12 steps. And so she uses the word, what word did she use? Wholesomeness, and I like that. So it's not even, in, not even restore us to wholesomeness, it's introduce us or deliver us to wholesomeness. And when we pray, we say deliver us from evil. So I, I want to, instead of deliver us from evil, I want us to be delivered to wholesomeness. And I like this wholesome aspect of the whole thing. And I just use the word whole. It's the same thing. Wholesomeness and whole are the same root word. Same, same. Wholesomeness has the word whole in it. And that's the same root word as the word healthy and healing and even the word holy. So since those are the same root word and it's a God-oriented uh, spiritual program, not a religious one, I believe that word should be used. And so we are going to change it. So step one is... Um, Admitted we were powerless over, say, anxiety. It might be powerless over our amygdala, which I hate that. I mean, people don't like that word. It's such a weird word. They don't use it in regular thinking. Powerless over our lizard brain, which is really stupid. Powerless over our limbic system, which might be something that could be defined well in terms of uh, uh, working a 12-step system. But I think anxiety might be the trick. So you call it Anxiety Anonymous, maybe, or something. And that works as a 12-step thing, too. Like, if you practice that principle in all your affairs, if somebody makes you anxious, like my landlord or my wife made me anxious, I get to start practicing those principles in all of my affairs. So, um, step two, or, or, or let's see admitted we were powerless over anxiety that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves 
could introduce us to wholesomeness. Three, made the decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of the loving God, Jesus, or over to Jesus, who is God. I like I like that one because that forces you to confront the whole deity of Christ thing. And if you can't confront it and can't overcome the anxiety of dealing with that, then you're not going to overcome other anxieties that are less important in your life. So you got to give to God that which is God's. And Jesus died for those words to get to that point where you consider his claim of deity. He, those are the words he died for, was claiming to be deity, to claiming to be equal with God. So that's the most important words he ever uttered were the ones he died over. He could have just taken them back and said, oh, you got it wrong, but he didn't. So he, he made that the most important words that he ever spoke. A lot of people like to try to turn the Christianity into a set of principles, right? They practice those principles in all their affairs which is pretty close and you're trying to honor Christ so you're probably pretty pretty Christian there you know I mean, God will honor honor that you tried but the reality is a lot of people are throwing a baby out with the bathwater and the bathwater is or the baby is the deity of Christ so they're trying to follow Christian principles without acknowledging that Jesus is God because that's too religious for them but there's nothing religious about the evidence behind it and the rule of coin. So you do need to give to God and to Caesar and to history and to everyone your proper consideration of that evidence. God deserves it. You deserve it. The society deserves it. History deserves it. State deserves it and your family deserves it. everybody get that one straight figure it out and if you decide that Jesus is not God you're closer to the truth than all those other people that think that Jesus is some kind of a God or a demigod or a, or just a great person a good teacher okay you're closer when you say no he's not God he's evil or something or he's a madman then you just go to, to SMART, self-management and recovery training. It's the, the, basically the godless variety of 12 SMART. So we've got a pathway for people who who have their god of, of their understanding is there is no god, then fine, you go to that one. It's, it's healthy for you to go to that. So that's where I'm at. That's where things are going. Um, Yeah, the deity of Christ is something that uh, you give unto, unto God, because that's what belongs to God. And uh, give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. And Caesar should be in no position to tell you that Jesus is or isn't God. That's a religious uh, conclusion that you draw. It has nothing to do with the state. So, I would have some work to do uh, erasing some of my political implications throughout all of these uh, podcasts if I, when I'm writing the book. But that's what I intend to do. Maybe some of it survives, but then I'm violating the principle and the tradition of having no opinion on outside issues. And that's an outside issue. 
politics is an outside issue. I believe the outside issue is whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. However, it's not an outside issue to uphold re this as a republic where we get to vote and our, our voice gets heard and people have elections and de democratic principles. That, I don't believe, is an outside issue. So it's kind of like when, when the first 12-step program came in and Alcoholics Anonymous, they, what they considered outside issue, what, and they said God, as they understood him, was they understood God to be Jesus, and it was all Christian-based. It was a Bible study called the Oxford Group. They just had Catholics and Protestants showing up and started in on their religious bullshit with each other. And so they, um, they just said, look, Step three is going to be God as we understood him. So the Catholic God as you understand the Catholic God and the Protestant God as you understand the Protestant God is the both the same fucking God. That's what they were saying, which isn't controversial today, but it was controversial back then. However, now what the controversy is, is, oh, a doorknob is my God. So he's like, now they're trying to say that anything can be your God. And that then that is not the case of how, the, how we got the 12 steps to, in the first place where they intended it to go and what it was based on. It was based on Christ and Christianity. It was not based on a doorknob God. So a doorknob is not even in within the expression of giving unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. You doorknob deserves the, the respect you give a doorknob. The state deserves the respect you give the state. There's a Bible verse that says that love God and honor the king okay and God deserves the respect and worship that you give to God and the state isn't going to come in and help you overcome your anxiety so first Peter 5 7 says you know you can overcome your anxiety or cast your anxiety upon him upon God Jesus because he cares for you it's a very straightforward verse and um, you overcome, but you, you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's Romans chapter 2, I believe. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what I'm getting the insight here is that the renewing of your mind is the renewal of your limbic system, the renewal of your amygdala mind, the, the, the reactive mind. And it's not even renewed because it is the way that it was brought up is not in a renewal situation. It was always in the wrong spot, and you have to kind of unwrong it. It's like weeds. You don't renew where the weeds are. You pull the weeds up, and you replace what was in the weeds with uh, with the plant that you wanted to go to grow up. So if you're putting in a lawn. And there's a weed there, or you have a lawn and a weed grows up, you pull, yank the, yank the weed out. But you, what you want to do is you want to put the, the grass sod in its place and pour some couple of, uh, of grass seeds down there. So you got plenty of seed down there, you got grass growing, and there's weeds, it's uh, roots going right where the weed root used to be, and then you're kind of overcoming the weed uh, seeds because those are kind of hard to get out. So you're giving all the advantage to the to the grass rather than to the weeds, and that's what we want to do with this program. We want to pull every bad thought, put in three new good thoughts, 
and renew your mind and renew your limbic system and that won't be so easy to renew the limbic system but it is doable and that's the name of the game in this program so we can practice that principle in all of our affairs including politics including work including family including walking down the street and people you deal with including dealing with yourself because if you put yourself into too much anxiety you're gonna have to figure out how to undo that and get rid of those weeds of thoughts and put in some nice grassy plants I'm gonna have to call this uh, episode the given to seizure that which is seizures this is gonna be about politics and how I'm going to have to remove politics from my equation, my book. Politics is bullshit. Be for bullshit. Alright, so uh, this phrase, given to Caesar that which is Caesar's, came from when Jesus was, was given a sermon or whatever it is you want to call it. And he was, you know, approached by his enemies, essentially, and they said, uh, what about paying taxes? Well, you know, this is, it's a good question because it puts you on a horn of a dilemma. If you say, yeah, you should pay the taxes, then you get lose the crowd that, that thinks that they should be fighting against the Romans. And if you say, don't pay the taxes, then it makes you into a, a revolutionary, and then they can round you up as a revolutionary and, and just dispense with you that way. So it was a very strong double bind for the Lord for Jesus. And so he said, okay, I'll answer that. You know, should I pay taxes? And he says, give me a coin. Anybody got a coin? Give me, show me a coin. You know, whose face is on it? Caesar. All right, then give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and give unto God that which is God's. So the real thing he was saying there, I mean, he said a lot and it's such a short thing. It was so highly condensed. It was just magnificent. In fact, his enemies walked away from there and said, nobody has ever spoken like this before. And they were right. I mean, he just nailed it. But what he was really saying is, give unto God that which is God's. If you had, as a nation, given unto God that which was God's, like his respect and love and, and worship, they would never have found themselves in this position of being overrun by the Romans. Because that was a judgment from God. Because they gave, they relinquished their um, position as God's chosen ones or whatever it is. You know, they weren't following God. So they were putting politics above spirituality. Nowadays we call it re religion, but the reality is everybody hates religion. Even Jesus hated religion. So they were, you, want, you don't want to use religion. It just, it just ties everybody up. So they were using politics above spirituality. And Jesus was saying, hey, dude, give, give God his glory and follow him and all the rest is not even going to be a problem. And, it's gonna, and it has a higher priority than, than paying taxes to Caesar. Because okay? Caesar certainly brings something to the table. You know, they build roads and they provide... Uh, you know, order in, in the marketplace and nobody's shooting each other. Well, back then they didn't have guns, but, you know, there's orderliness and, and there's, and, and, you know, there's a reason why there's governments, okay? And that's what, C that's what belongs to Caesar, is the respect and obedience of the people 
to do lawful orders. And what is was give what is owed to God? Love. Have Him first in your life. Hold it. Make it. Just absolutely hold Him serious. And be serious about your relationship with Him and follow His precepts. And you know, be real about God and show that you love Him and love other people. Okay. And against such things, there is no law. That's an actual biblical expression. So today we're in a very highly politicized, polarized environment. In fact, the day I'm right, I'm doing this, there's riots taking place because some guy got killed by a police officer, and so they're using this as an excuse to loot. And they they hate Trump, so they want to get rid of Trump. And you know, there's this election coming up, and and you know, if we as a nation were better at following God, we wouldn't have these problems. And that's kind of where I'm at with following the 12 smart program. We don't have opinions on outside issues. That's the 12 steps. That's one of the traditions. And politics is one of the outside issues. So that's it. Give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and give unto to God that which is God's and God deserves your devotion. And this is all about... You know, the government, this is all about overcoming anxiety and working a 12-step program and making your life better. The government doesn't have much to say about that. They they hope that you become a better tax-paying citizen, a productive citizen, and not somebody they have to round up and stick in jail like they did me for my DUI. Right? They want people that are, you know, more sheep, I guess you could say, the meek. But in reality, they want good people to be the ones that are, that are in their opinion. They want goodness for their own people when they're in the government. And they don't want to be the ones that have to be the bad guys and rounding you up and beating you up and all that shit. So people think that they want, and there are some people that want to do that because it's apparently exciting. It's a, you know adrenaline rush. But I think God will eventually deal with such people and just kind of get rid of them. <clears throat> Slowly they all die or they get shown to be who they were. And it's just not acceptable in a modern civilized society. So for purposes of 12 Smart, it's going to be considered an outside issue. Politics is an outside issue. Now, a lot of people are statist. They think that the, the state should provide like everything, you know? From cradle to grave, and, and uh, because we're talking about all these mental health issues and all this uh, access to resources and things like that, that the state sh- should help out and step in and work with or take over the program or whatnot. But the reality is, the state, when you, a state is involved in something, the first thing that a statist or a bureaucrat wants to do is keep their job. That's their first priority is how do I keep my job? It's not how do I solve this problem. So Jesus said, you know, the poor will always be with you, but you won't always have me. And that was because you're never going to solve some problems. Politics seems to be one of those things that uh, that people think there's some problems are solvable, like poverty. But I honestly don't think poverty is solvable. If Jesus turned around and said, the poor you will always have with you, it ain't going to happen. So... Um, that's give unto Caesar, you know, don't 
don't with politics. In fact, I've included some political uh, uh, comments throughout this uh, uh, these uh, podcasts, and, uh, and when I write the book, that's it. The po- politics part's going away, and it'll come into here, into this chapter, and that's that. It will not be considered. Politics is an outside issue. Uh, and giving unto Caesar, this is all about giving unto God, that which is God's. And God deserves our devotion, and God has some help to give us towards anxiety and overcoming some of the, the difficulties we've done, had as a precariat class and looking out for each other as precariat class and becoming the meek who inherit the earth. And we have to be careful when the meek do inherit the earth, that we don't become just like all the other people that have power. We have to stay meek and mild and uh, turn the other cheek and whatever else the Bible says for us to do. I wish I could pause. I really do. I think I'm going to do this on a, on the when I can pause. So I'm going to stop here and just start pausing. <laughs>